Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could join us today. This morning, I want you to meet Donna Harris, one of the many amazing education leaders we have here in Minnesota. She's the eighth president of Minnehaha Academy, which is a private Christian school in Minneapolis. Donna is also the first woman and the first person of color to hold this leadership role in the school's 100-year history. Dr. Harris holds a doctorate degree in education, and today she is here in the studio with me. Welcome to the program, Donna. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Angela. Uh, it, it warms my soul to, to be with you uh, and see you smiling, because we have spent time together um, when there was no reason to smile. Yes, absolutely. And uh, when I thought about um, speaking to you this morning, I just remembered every time I spoke to you during that um, difficult time six years ago, uh, you exuded so much empathy for our school community, for me personally, and it meant a lot to me. Oh, thank personally. you. But let's let's talk about that because it's part of why we invited you here today. But we also want to talk about uh, leadership and what we can learn, um, the lessons we can learn from when horrible things happened. Um, you've led Minnehaha Academy through some tremendously difficult and challenging times, and most notably after an explosion from a gas leak on your campus in the summer of 2017. And I remember that the images of the destruction very well. Uh, I was on the scene as a, a TV news reporter at the time. A large section of the building was leveled. Uh, two staff members were killed. 47-year-old Ruth Berg, uh, the one of the school receptionists, and 82-year-old John Carlson, the school custodian, also an alum of Minnehaha Academy. And the first time I met you, Dr. Harrison, interviewed you, you were in a wheelchair with two sprained ankles, cuts and bruises on your legs. The explosion you know, and what happened afterwards. That is how many people across Minnesota, they, they know your name and know your face. So I, I do want to start there. When you look back to that day, and it was a, a day with so many unfolding events, I, I'm just wondering, is there an, a particular image or a moment that really stands out in your mind? Wow, there are many images that stand out in my mind. Um, that was a uh, a day that I don't want to repeat. But I think um, the images that uh, stand in my mind most uh, are members of our community uh, locking hands and hearts, um, praying together, supporting um, one another. Um, the image um, when I was released from the hospital of my executive leadership team doing their thing, responding to all of the um, questions that were coming their way. I was so proud of that team. And um, just, uh, I, I think I felt the love of that team, uh, the group of, of people that came that evening to uh, be at our prayer vigil, a standing room only, and the care um, that just exuded from that group. So it was amazing. So classes were not in session because it was still summer break, but uh what were you doing there when you became aware that something was wrong? Well, I was actually interviewing someone in my office. Um, there was a staff, per, uh, a potential uh, employee in, in, uh, interviewing for a, for a IT role. Mm -hmm. And I heard something in the hallway. If it had been during the school year, it didn't sound, you know, like something was wrong. But I just heard, you know, louder talking. And literally about 10 seconds after hearing that, my assistant, who had only been with me for two weeks, knocked on the door uh, to my office. And I thought that was kind of unusual because she knew I was conducting mm -hmm. an interview. And um, I opened the door and she said, they're saying that we need to get out of the building. There's a gas leak. So the person that I was interviewing had 
never been in the building. So I kind of looked in his direction and I said, follow me. And I said to her, because she'd only been there two weeks, follow me, standing right there in the doorway. And I took one step and uh, everything that you can imagine in a movie when, you know, there's a bomb or something, um, but the sound will never... I will always remember the sound and then ceilings, walls, everything started falling in. And I remember my brain just couldn't figure out what on earth is happening. happening. I remember saying, what's happening? What's happening? And I was blown backwards out of my shoes. I remember glass was everywhere. And, um, and later on, the person, the IT person that I was uh, interviewing said, Donna, do you remember what you said that day? And I, and I said, I don't remember what I said. And he said, you looked at us and you said, the only way out is, and you pointed to the windows. And I had these floor to ceiling windows in my office. And so um, we ended up crawling through the glass um, of my windows and ended up on a ledge um, until the firefighters came uh, to rescue us. And Later, I heard from the forensic engineer, had I gone one more step, I likely would not be here because the epicenter of the explosion was right beneath my office and everything had collapsed. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that that was the path that our our two colleagues, our beloved colleagues were taking. And um, I was heading in that same direction. You redirected. Yeah. Right. How did you sprain your ankles? Well, you know, I I... I was thrown back, and I remember twisting my ankles severely. I remember my shoes kind of being blown out of my shoes. I remember um, debris falling, you know, on my ankles. I just remember just everything. I remember my um, assistant saying, Donna, are you okay? Because I was bleeding from my uh, forehead. But I I just remember just the the force of being thrown back and twisting um, as I was falling to the ground. Um, And then, uh, of course, the multiple lacerations. And, and later on, we discovered that many of us suffered um, uh, what they call blast concussions, where the yes, you um, the waves, you know, enter the orifices, the, the orifice, and uh, whether it's your nose, or your ears, and you end up with what they call blast concussion, or, you know, so um, a I number re- of those. I remember also photos of you returning to the scene, you were released from the hospital, you went back to the school, back to the scene that night. Why was that important for you? I just needed to be there with the community. I knew our community was hurting. Um, I was well enough to be able, you know, using a wheelchair and crutches, I could get around. And I wanted to, um, for the community, give them a sense of hope uh, that God was with us. He'd carried us through. We'd suffered a a significant tragedy. But uh, I wanted to convey um, that um, we would get through this together. And I didn't want to send that through email or um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be there and stand before the school community and to give them a sense of hope um, that we were going to make it through. You uh, told me uh, when you walked in, she's like, a a lot of what you talk to people about today is about lessons learned. Lessons learned. What what have you learned through uh, experiencing that trauma um, and helping uh, students, staff, parents, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. everyone around you also move through it um, and try to heal. What's What are the lessons you've learned? Well, there are a number of lessons. I, I, I always start with the personal lessons learned. Um, I think that this crisis, uh, any crisis, um, grows us as people and as leaders. Um, I think it, what was reinforced for 
individuals in our community is what counts, and that's the people. Um, uh, taking the time to care for one another, mm-hmm. um, recogni- recognizing the brevity of life and the importance of seizing the day, the morning of the explosion. I had been chasing my husband around the house because I was going to kiss him goodbye. And I had on this really bright lipstick and he was running from me and I was chasing him. And I remember I feigned that I was upset and I said, I'm going, I'm I'm leaving. And he ran behind me and he embraced me and he kissed me. And he said, it might be the last time that I have to kiss you. And I kind of having a playful moment, playful, totally playful moment. I was walking to the garage and uh, driving to school and I felt a little bit, you know, felt a little ominous, but I got to work that day. And I remember when the walls were falling in, when everything around me um, caused me to wonder whether I was going to live through that moment. I remembered what my husband said. It may be the last time. And so we might have some last times that we're not aware of. And so seizing the day, recognizing the brevity of life, um, letting the people around us that we love, let them know every day that we love them, um, putting aside um, those things that might cause division and focusing on. So that's that's the um, that's one of the things, the lessons learned. I also, um, one of the lessons is you can't build a strong team in the middle of a crisis. You better have a strong team and you need to be doing the things to cultivate a strong team before a crisis. Before it happens. Before it happens. Uh, So those everyday mundane interactions with your team, um, find those ways to navigate crucial decisions well, uh, building that trust so that your team in a crisis can function well. Um, And I was just, again, so proud of my team. I think um, one of the other uh, lessons learned is um, that collaborative, deeply discerning, um, decisive work can happen um, in an accelerated timeline. We needed to rebuild. We needed to find a temporary spot for our our, our upper school. Now, because (laughs) school classes were scheduled to start. Classes were scheduled to start. Mm -hmm. And um, the day after the explosion, I sent an email to our school community to say that we would be we would be in a temporary space um, by the day after Labor Day, which was just a couple of weeks beyond when we would have opened school. At that juncture, I didn't know mm-hmm. where we where we would be. We were working with our board um, to figure out, and I have a phenomenal board uh, to thinking strategically about those decisions. We had, um, I surveyed parents to say what's important to you in, um, in finding that temporary spot. And they said two things. If, if you can, don't be further than 10 miles away from the current site. And can you please keep the kids together? Because we were getting people reaching out saying we have space for your ninth graders. We can take your 10th graders. But our family said, keep mm-hmm. us together. And so as we rebuilt, as we made those critical decisions, you don't need five years. You don't need four years. You can be, uh, you can make really uh, well discerned, um, wise decisions um, that we had to make as we rebuilt in um, a shorter and period. Then, and of time. I should know. Ultimately, you found um, a, a college campus, that, uh, some vacant buildings, Brown Institute. Right. Yes, right. had been Brown Institute, uh, and it was amazing. We we the space we worked with Mortensen. They were a fabulous partner. Um, they renovated that it. space mm-hmm. so quickly. I think it was uh, thirty three days, um, and it looked like Minnehaha. It was branded with our mm-hmm. colors, and and it happened to be um, the the space we lost. We we could. 
couldn't get back our athletic spaces and those kinds of things. But um, the academic space was close to the same size of, of what we lost. So why was that important for, um, if I think about, and this, I should say this happened at the upper school. So we're talking about Correct. the high school students affected Correct. by this. Why was it so important for them to be together and to be in an environment that, that looked familiar to them? Right. Our our school community, um, it's in the water that the care, the love that our community has for one another um, the the relationships that our faculty have with students um, and the relationships cut across grade levels. So it was important um, that our the ethos of the caring community could still be um, uh, uh, visible in mm-hmm. that space. And we didn't want uh, dilapid- dilapidated tables and chairs. We wanted a space that looked like an educational space. So it was important for us to invest in making that space beautiful and a space that kids could come and parents could drop off kids and feel um, proud of. Uh, We're getting some phone calls from listeners, and I do want to bring them in, but I want to remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, uh, I'm talking with Donna Harris uh, about her job as president of Minnehaha Academy and leading in difficult situations, and we are taking your phone calls. Uh, Have you or your child attended the school in the the last 15 years under uh, Donna's leadership? Tell us about your experience, or are you a school leader someplace else? Or what or who has helped you in the face of tremendously challenging times? You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, 651-227-6000. Or you can call 800-242-2828. Again, six years ago this summer that uh, Minnehaha Academy uh, endured that horrible explosion. Uh, Let's take a phone call uh, from Minneapolis, uh, Donna. This is Stephanie on the phone. Good morning, Stephanie. What do you want to share with us? Hi, uh, this is Stephanie O'Brien, uh, Dr. Donna, Pastor Steph from Mill City Church. Hi, Stephanie. And I just, I was just, I heard you on the radio and I thought I just wanted to call in to say that you've been such an inspiration to so many of us leaders about what it looks like to lead through adversity. I particularly think about how six years ago, nobody would have known what we went through three years ago with COVID, but I remember you were willing to speak to some leaders of mine at Bethel Seminary and other students about what it looks like to lead through things that you never expected would happen. And I just so appreciate you doing that. And it was just incredible. And I'm just so thankful for your leadership. Thank you, Stephanie. It was my pleasure. And um, I, I continue to grow in my leadership role. And I appreciate the opportunities always to connect with other leaders. And Stephanie, what, what I, I see today when I saw six years ago is just this calm, uh, the ability to yep. stay calm. And is that what you have seen also in, in Donna? Yeah, I think I think what I noticed in, in uh, President Harris is just the ability to find that non-anxious presence in the core of who she is. And I know that comes from her faith. But I also know it comes from the adversity she's experienced in life and what it means to be a person who's had to uh, think about her surroundings and be attentive to, to different people and all the different experiences she's had. And I saw that in her before this crisis as a, as a, as a alumni of Minnehaha, I've always looked up to her as she's taken the role, but then being able to see her lead through that crisis and then now reflect back on it and continue to just allow something terrible to give lessons and encouragement to us. She just found that place of, of calm. And what I noticed was a, a combination of both confidence of what to do and how to move forward and what we need to decide, but also a sense of compassion, because this was a huge loss of obviously some people's lives. And then these buildings that have meant something to people for hundreds, a hundred years, you know, over a hundred years. And I think that that, uh, that compassion really reaches through 
from um, Dr. Donna to so many of us. Thank you. That's Stephanie calling in from Minneapolis. Uh, let's take another phone call. Uh, also calling in from Minneapolis, this is Mick on the line. Good morning, Mick. Thank you for waiting. And what do you want to share with us as we talk with Donna Harris, the president of Minnehaha Academy? Thank you very much. I want to share that um, I have a grandson who goes to Minnehaha, and he's been there two years now in the upper school. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a sort of a non-naturally self-motivated student, and his parents gave him the chance to try a different school. And he did try Minnehaha, and he found several teachers, but particularly a couple of them who were so committed to their topic. So, Mick, I'm, I'm having a little hard time understanding you. It's, you. You were saying your grandson, he wasn't very motivated when he first got there? He, he wasn't very self-motivated, yeah. Mm-hmm. He needed some, some pushing her a little bit. And uh, he ran into a couple of teachers who were so committed to their topic that it actually made a difficult topic attractive to him, and mm-hmm. he got excited about it. And um, I never thought I'd see this wonderful kid be excited about anything academic. And uh, mm. it really uh, reinforced for me the, yeah. the, um, the importance of the teachers there and the leadership and how Minahala views its students and cares about them. Mm. Thank you. That is a beautiful thing to see. Thank you, Mick. And I'm glad your grandson is, is doing well. Uh uh, I want to talk a little bit about the children, the students, and uh, Minnehaha Academy. It's it's pre K all the way through twelve. Absolutely. Uh, but what are you? What is it that you're trying to um, to teach these young people? It's because it's more than academics, right? What's Absolutely. the mission? Absolutely. You know, I will just state our mission to provide high quality education, integrating Christian faith and learning. That's who we've been for 110 years now. The why of our mission is that so that students grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and others. And you're absolutely correct. We don't just focus on the academics. We do want to develop beautiful minds. We want thinkers. We want students to grasp the academic content. But we also believe how important it is to um, shape the soul and the heart and the character of students. We want to inspire them. We want them to know their God-given gifts. Um, We want them to know that God has given them um, unique talents and gifts, and we want them to move through our school with beautiful learning experiences that inspire them so that they can use their heart, their hands, their head to make an impact um, on others. And so um, you will find our students doing incredible things in the community. Um, my heart was warmed this year. Our, our little kindergartners, they were talking about um, bringing people joy and how to bless people. And so they ended up creating, um, working with professionals, with um, creating um, uh, sound bite songs and uh, blessings. And there was a phone number called the Shine Line. And anybody across the country could call the Shine Line and hear a blessing from our kindergartners. And they got calls from Canada from and, and people could leave um, messages to our students about how they were impacted by the prayers, the songs, the words of encouragement from our kindergarten students. And think about that. It wasn't just an abstract kind of thing when they talked about how do I bring people joy. Uh, but those students, you know, 
now until they graduate will remember how they blessed. And so students at Minnehaha use their hands and heart, uh, whether it's conservation kinds of efforts or working with disabled people or refugees and and partnering with um, organizations that help students uh, or, or, or children that are dealing with childhood cancer. And so um, we believe those are the enduring aspects of our ministry and mission. And so we want to shape the whole child, uh, not just the, the mind and, and the delivery of, of content. And it's it's beautiful to see. It's why I'm still there, because I get to see um, the many um, stories, life stories. Um, and we connect student stories with God's big story. You know, um, we want our students to um, come to that uh, place where they surrender um, their hearts to God and then ask God to help them to use their hands and feet to serve others. Going back to six years ago, have you kept up with some of the, the students who were there during the explosion and during the transition when they were meeting you know, offsite uh, nearby at that, that college campus that was renovated uh, and came back? Um, how were they doing? Some of the stories of like, what did that, how, how were they impacted? What did they carry with them? maybe to college or maybe not to college right. that still sits with them today. Yeah, I think that many in our community connect. Uh, you know, our, our faculty have such deep and abiding relationships with students. And uh, students have come back. Many of our students, um, their college essay um, as they were entering college, mm-hmm. was about the tragedy and and the losses and also um, the growth um, that they experienced as students. And uh, they, they come back to the building um, to see the building. Um, many of those students um, were um, in our in our in our uh, before the explosion in that space, two years in um, the the. Uh, renovated and rebuilt space, and then COVID. And so they had some very, very challenging disruptions to their high school years. But it's been beautiful, uh, the resilience that everyone talks about. It was real for our students. The day of the explosion, many of those students uh, wrote a sign that says, we will not be shaken. And, um, and I see that in in those students. And, and I think they're, they're, 25-year-old selves or 30-year-old selves or 40-year-old selves will look back at that time and say that was a pivotal, those were pivotal moments. They got through it through community. through it. Mm -hmm. The the community. So how did what happened uh, in 2017 with the explosion, um, did it somehow prepare you for dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic? More disruption. Yeah, yeah. We were, we got back into the building July of 2019 and uh, the governor um, uh, made the decision to shut down schools in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, I believe that the resilience that was built, the um, help during the, the aftermath of the explosion certainly helped us. Um, we had dealt with a lot you know, significant loss. Our, our teachers, many of our teachers lost everything, you know, um, certainly their electronic files. But, you know, a teacher's classroom has lots of wonderful mm-hmm. artifacts that they use in their teaching. And so um, we, we as, a, as a school community, as I said, we locked hands and hearts and we moved forward. We strategically uh, planned together around what the new building would look like. And so I think when COVID hit, um, it, it was tiring 
for our faculty. It was tough. They are our true heroes. Um, but they had learned some lessons through um, the the app through the explosion that I think carried over. And so they were working with our principals saying, okay, what do we need to do? How do we need to plan? There, there had been some of that um, muscle memory from that experience um, that carried over to the time of the explosion so, of, or COVID, I should say. For an example, is it, okay, let's look at what we do have. Let's work with what we have. Mm-hmm. And also holding on to that, that principle of like making sure the students have community they have each other they're not in isolation right we can we can do this and so um you know we were only out of um school for the time that the governor um uh said that schools needed to be out we were back that fall of 2020 the because private schools were able to do that right And, and we we wanted to adhere to the protocols and so we were the building that we built um was the perfect building to be able to um, have social distancing. We were able to do things with the um, the air, uh, air circulating air, air. circulating air, um, and so uh, cohorting students. Uh, we were able to do that um, and still uh, live within the guidelines um, that the state was requiring. Even though we could, we did have flexibility mm-hmm. as a private institution, and so teachers. Um, uh, went, I would believe they did yeoman's work in connecting with students, making sure that students weren't falling um, through the through the gaps there and connecting via media. I mean, the way that um, the tools that our, uh, our teachers became expert in um, so that they could connect with students was just amazing um, to me. And it was, I was inspired by their work. I want to remind you and, and take another phone call. We're talking with Donna Harris about her job as president of Minnehaha Academy and leading in difficult situations and taking your phone calls uh, as well. Have you or your child attended the school in uh, the last 15 years under Donna's leadership? Tell us about your experience or are you a school leader in some other part of Minnesota? What or who has helped you in the face of challenging times? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800 800- Two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Again, this summer marks the uh, sixth anniversary of that explosion at Minnehaha Academy that that leveled a large section of a building there at the upper school. In uh, Crystal, we have a listener on the line. This is Adriana. In Crystal, did I say your name correctly, Adriana? Yeah, you did. Okay, go go right ahead. Thank you. Um, so I am a brand new leader, um, a brand new school leader. In fact, I just got my license this spring. Um, Congratulations, my administrative license. Oh, thank you. And I'm actually on my way right now um, to an emergency or crisis planning meeting with our district, with the district leadership team, um, inviting in the local police department, local um, fire, you know, fire department and whatnot. And prep, the meeting is at 10 o'clock to prep for a crisis. And I turned, tuned into NPR and I just couldn't believe um, when I heard Dr. Harris say that, one of the things that really struck me was how the importance of building um, a trusting team or a team that trusts one another and a really strong team before a crisis. And it was just like such crazy timing, um, you know, on my way to plan for a crisis. And that just really struck me. And also, Dr. Harris, the human aspect of what you shared with your husband, um, it mm-hmm. brought me to tears. So I just I really appreciate that. And it's, it was wonderful to hear your story. Thank you, uh, Adriana. Uh, so uh, building um, trust between colleagues. So in any profession, I mean, that's that can be hard. 
right? Mm-hmm. That that Absolutely. people that everybody's carrying their you know carrying their share of the load, and that there's trust. And mm-hmm. so, what have you learned about that? Like, how how do you do that? Well, you know, I I have a wonderful team, um, and and I I really believe in collaboration. I believe that God gifts each of us uniquely, and I think that those gifts can be applied in your area of focus and also in a larger team. And so I invite um, collaboration. My leadership team, we have a we have a standing uh, meeting, but everyone participates in the development of the agenda. It's not just I Donna. I'm one of those people. I don't like meetings. <laughs> yeah, I'm very yeah. not a meeting person. Well, you've got to focus on, you know, strategically moving the organization forward. What does that look like? Um, you know, we have three wonderful principles, but the principles can speak into the world of the HR person or the HR person can speak into the world of the person who, ha- who oversees admissions. And, so uh, understanding and so each other's jobs. Understanding one another's jobs, but also we can bring questions about our areas of oversight to one another and invite input so that we can continue to grow and hear different perspectives. You can be um, an HR person, but also a parent of a student at Minnehaha, so you have a particular insight. And and we have to get beyond, I'm from California, so we have to get beyond saying what we think sounds um, great and can be received and really get to the heart of issues, even if it means a little bit of tension so that we can get ultimately to get to the decisions that we need to make and be really authentic in what we're sharing. Uh, but we don't one like another. uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like uncomfortable conversations and we, we like to keep, but, but then we have, we might um, risk having those uncomfortable conversations in the parking lot and not getting the work done that we need to get done. So I just encourage that conversation. I encourage people to share. Um, we roll up our sleeves. We work together often. Uh, we get to know one another. We know one another's styles. I'm an ENTJ uh, or INTJ, you know, the the, testing. Yeah. And um, (laughs) so we kind of know those things about one another. And so um, those are the ways we build trust. And and we are accountable to one another as well, I think. A a lot does get worked out in the parking lot, the parking garage. I mean, those are the real meetings. As long as it comes back to the people that need to hear. (laughs) All right. Donna Harris is the president of Minnehaha Academy. Joining me this hour to talk about how her faith and her leadership skills have helped her rebuild and lead the school uh, after a 2017 explosion and then the pandemic just a few years later. Uh, Dr. Harris, I, I want to ask you about uh, the two people who were killed uh, in the explosion. We talked about them um, you know, at the very beginning of the show. 47-year-old Ruth Berg, school receptionist, 82-year-old John Carlson, um, who was a school custodian. What have you all been able to do to, to preserve their memory and to honor them? We loved Ruth and um, John, and so we've done a couple of things. If you were to walk into our building um, and stand near our our chapel, you'll see two beautiful pieces of stained glass, uh, one for Ruth and one for John, and the stained glass was commissioned, and the stained glass piece reflects um, kind of who they were. Ruth loved dark furred cats and she loved family. And so her stained glass piece, uh, it's in a beautiful area. Um, and then John loved sports and he loved to cheer up kids by giving them dilly bars. And so his stained glass piece has a dilly bar. And so those are spaces we walk by, you know, daily. And so we reflect on them at the high school. We actually have an honors night where we recognize student achievements and we've included a Ruth Berg, um, John, John, uh, 
Ruth and John uh, reward or, or an award that recognizes kids in service because they just had um, such um, servant hearts. And so that is a way to preserve their legacy and and um, to recognize kids who really embody a lot of uh, who John and Ruth stood for. You told me uh, during the, the the break. I said, "Is there anything else I need to ask you?" You're like, "Oh, I still have more more things on my lessons learned list." Uh, at the beginning of the conversation, I was like, "What lessons have you learned from you know moving through such a tragedy, but getting through it?" Yeah, I, I would just add that always use a crisis to uh, reimagine. Um, and so we did some reimagining as we moved through the crisis and we were looking forward to the future of the school. And so there might be some things in your organization that you need to sunset, that something that you've always done. Um, mm-hmm. You want to maybe create some new um, opportunities for kids that come out of the um uh, the the discussions that you're having in the time thinking about the future. Did you all and stop doing some big, things? Well, we stopped. Things we up. looked at um, everything from programming kinds of things. We looked at you know maybe some some of the um, uh, student activities that may have been taking more time because we've always done it that way mm-hmm. um, that we could kind of pull back on um, questioning changing always, processes we've always done it that way questioning exact, that questioning that and so use the time to become if you're a 2.0 organization what does it look like to become a 3.0 and and that is a lot of reimagining um, also recognizes leaders I this is a comment for leaders recognize that um, change is lost and a crisis is going to cause um, change to happen in an organization. And change is always painful for many folks. And often leaders move through the phases of change um, quicker than the rest of the organization. So don't get too far ahead as you're focusing as a leader on the change and getting to the other side. Recognize that the organization, um, the people within the organization are still, they might be moving through the, sh- the, the pain, the shock, of, of, of the crisis a little slower than the leader. So mm. think about that. Mm. I like that. Let's take another phone call uh, as we talk with listeners uh, while we're in conversation with Donna Harris at Minnehaha Academy in Anoka. This is Russ on the line. Russ, thank you for calling in. And what do you want to ask or share? Good morning. Um, I'd like to uh, address the, the issue from four different faith perspectives. And that would be from uh, Buddhism. And when we when we look at um, tragedy or loss, it is a sense of suffering. And all suffering in a Buddhist concept comes from desire. And so we have lost something that we have desired or that those students have. And, and, and then transitioning to Christianity, I was going to be a Catholic priest at one time, decades ago. And you have the image of Christ on the cross and that bearing that load bearing our crosses as seemingly unjust as they are, we persevere through it and transcend through it. And in Judaism, the story of Job or Job and, and Moses, um, especially Job, um, living through the crisis that he had, and then expected out of nowhere the, the help from God came. And in my own faith tradition, I converted to Islam 30 years ago. And in my own faith tradition, we have the concept of sabr and shukr. 
in the seemingly throes of of adversity, we have patience and we have gratitude. Gratitude for what has not been taken from us. Gratitude for what for the lesson that we learn in this seemingly adverse uh, event. And in the Quran, it says that we love a thing and it is not good for us, and we hate a thing, and it is ultimately good for us. So, so Wes, you're, you're the, seeing a theme there. Ad, within adversity, we all have a, a like, your, the human spirit tells us that we can get through adversity. We, we, we need to face it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we have what Islam says, tawakal. We have faith in God. God has, has call it predestination, or ordained things for us. Mm. We have a source where we come from, God. We're going to return to God. Well, Wes, like, I want to ask uh, Adana, like, what do you think about what he's saying there as you look at many different uh, uh, religions? You know, I think about a couple of scriptures that, that come to mind, and, and I do believe that God carries us. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 is one of my favorite scriptures. It talks about, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have, re- have received from God. And, and in Isaiah we, we, we 43.19 talks about that God can do a new thing through us. He can take us through the wilderness. He can create rivers in dry wasteland. And we have, I've, Personally, I'm experienced that in our school community as well. And so there is hope in Christ. He is our only hope um, in, in, from my perspective in the Christian faith um, that God can carry us through. He loves us. He cares for us. And he is there um, right in the center of all of our pain. What uh, were you like as a child? <laughs> Student Donna, were, were you were you that same calm person that was uh, I I think that people please probably, tell me you were bad were you bad I want I'd like to you know, know that you I were was terrible. The, I was the middle child I was the good middle child um, and I I came out of the womb knowing that I wanted to to be in education my my brothers and sisters were my were my were my students in my classroom I was always serious I was a serious student. Um, I, I gave my heart to Christ when I was eight years old. I was in a, uh, someone knocked on our door, invited us to church, and I was attending Sunday school. And I heard one day that, you know, um, I was lost and needed to be found, and I desperately wanted to be found. I surrendered my heart to Christ at a young age, um, turned over the Lordship of my life. And, and, uh, what I do now, everything that I do, I, I want to point back to my relationship with Christ, pleasing Him. Is is my highest aspiration, whether it's pleasing him through my work, pleasing him through um, raising my children uh, that are now all grown and gone at five grown, uh, beautiful adult children um, and pleasing God in how I interface with people. Um, and uh, that that's who I've who Donna has been. And I have in my notes that you have a, a beautiful voice, a singing voice. You're a singer. So what role has music and singing played in your life? Oh, I was that always, discovered as a child. Always loved singing. I you know I remember being in church when I was young and singing from the top of my lungs. And the pastor said, "Can you sit on the front row so that you can model how to worship to the other folks in the in the building?" But I've always loved um, gospel music. Um, and also, my husband and I sing together. We 
probably singing when, about, not, when he's not chasing you around the kitchen trying to hug you, you he's singing yeah. to you when wow. he's singing to me we get married <laughs> over and over again with the weddings that we have sung in and during covid we uh my husband and i and the pastor and the musician were the were in the church while everybody else was online so um i think um gospel gospel music in particular is inspirational it's music that um uh that gives us hope um trust in god and so that's always been my um, my love uh, of singing and music as well. And during the pandemic, many of us found healing through music. Were you listening to a lot of music? Then? Uh, I was listening to, you know, on my phone, I have music, but, uh, you know, and there, yeah, I was listening to a lot of those uh, wonderful um, uh, singers that really are, um, that really bring me to that place of worship and connection with God. So in uh, talking with you, preparing for today, uh, you shared with one of our producers who was asking you about music, um, but you have a favorite gospel song, a song by Fred Hammond. I, I have some Fred Hammond <laughs> Do on you? my playlist. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, after the explosion, I was playing Fred Hammond a lot. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And if it's okay with you, we, we can play a little bit of that song. Um, this is a, a gospel song by Fred Hammond. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And so let's, let's listen to a little bit of that. For many of us, you know, music is medicinal. Uh, I grew up in the black church. I listened to a lot of black gospel music. And uh, let's talk about the lyrics and the name of the song. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. What do you take away? What does that mean? You know, for me, it means that um, the line that says no weapons formed against me shall prosper assumes, infers that there will be weapons. Um, that, you know, in life, there will be weapons that come our way. But through the power and the strength that God gives us, um, he will be with us and walk with us. And so that's that was the power of that song um, for me during that uh, real difficult time. I think in my car, every time I got in that song, was I was recognizing the weapons. And sometimes the weapons come, we we are the cause of weapons that come our way. Sometimes that they're felt external. like an attack. Like you've come from my school. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. There's a little bit of what are you trying to do to God's school? And, um, and, and know that together we are committed to standing and walking together. And, and those weapons that are, that we're, truly physically feeling will not prosper. They won't take us down. Uh, we will not end up in a place of darkness because God is light and he will see us through. What do you make of uh, the youth mental health crisis we are seeing now? We have a lot of discussions about mental health on this show. Uh, we have a lot of discussions about education and what's happening with our young people. And, you know, we're, now we're seeing more and more about, you know, the 
the deficit in terms of I don't know what do we want to call it learning loss like <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. and and it's not their fault uh, but there is just a lot of grief and suffering mm-hmm. and anxiety and worry among children and teenagers mm-hmm. and young adults. Yeah, I think we need to acknowledge that that's a real thing. Um, students experienced a lot of isolation uh, during the pandemic. Um, we are a school community, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that really thrives on strong relationships. We have seen um, our students struggle at Minnehaha, any school. Mm-hmm. You know, kids are struggling. And so it's uh, naming that, um, uh, identifying the resources to support them. Um, we come alongside families and kids uh, in ways that, that say to them, uh, we love you, we care. Um, and uh, if there are opportunities for us within our school, whether it's bringing in speakers, whether it's bringing in um, those who are professionals to speak to parents, um, we want to be committed to that because it's not going to go away overnight. Um, but we have to realize, even within a Christian setting, sometimes you think, well, God is enough. He is. But he's also provided experts in a lot of different areas um, that we can actually refer our students to as well. And I think, I mean, I'm um, I'm around, I think, a lot of uh, young people who are my children's age ages. They're, my kids are 19 and 21. Young adults, a lot of young adults are are, are stuck, is how I, I sort of describe it. Just stuck, not not sure what to do, where to go, what to say. And so they're there's there's just no they're not doing anything right mm-hmm. but they're they're really in their own heads and working it out and i and i i feel for them and i understand but what do you think will bring them out of that or what could bring them out of that well i think um a lot of the data talk about um kids having strong relationships with adults in their sphere so those that they that they know care about them that um can mentor them that can come alongside them that um, having those strong relationships are critical for kids so that they don't become more isolated and become more in their head. And um, I've seen it happen at Minnehaha Academy where we are committed not to have kids fall through the gaps and um, to pull them out of that. One of the things we did, you know, not a little younger kids than yours, um, but this year, not as a punitive thing, this past school year, we pulled away cell phones so that kids weren't kind of in their head, maybe, you know, during the school day, during the school day, where literally they surrender their phone at the beginning of the day and get it back at the end of the day. That has that caused um, just so much more community Mm -hmm. in our school that already had a lot of community. And so things like that, disconnecting from sometimes uh, social media can 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 pull kids down and can keep them isolated. And so we we um, committed to doing that. And it was wonderful. And we had a few kids that were what and a few parents. But was, um, it's possible. We, we can stuck do it. to it. And it was wonderful. Right. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And we need to think, too, about the mental health of our faculty as well. You know, educators are went through some challenging times and as so, well. Right. Um, we try right. to hear from them to respond to those um, right. Concerns as well. Our time is up for the hour, but uh, thank you for making time for us here at NPR during your busy schedule. We've been talking with Donna Harris, the president of Minnehaha Academy in Minneapolis. This conversation was produced by Matt Alvarez, and the conversation was made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more reporting and conversations in our North Star Journey series, just go to nprnews.org and look for the North Star Journey link. All right, be good, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9.
Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.